a certain generation that's loving it because ba -ba 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 -ba. episode 50, Craig of the Buff. We met it. We made it. They said we couldn't have done it, but we've done it. Who are those people that said it? There's always a critic out there, Craig. Welcome. Yeah, there is always a critic out there. You know what? It's easier to say no rather than to say yes. I worked with a scout a long time ago. His name was Smokey Cerrone. And he said, if you say no on players all the time, you'll be right 98% of the time. And if you're happy with just saying no to everybody, good, you're 98%. But do you want to not never be right? I want to be right. I know. So do I. That's what he said. He was great. Yeah. The stake in the ground. Smokey was real good. You know what? Smokey, that's what I did when I took Evander Kane. I had to go on a bit of a limb. I said, I take Kane. I don't know about all the other stuff. I would do it. If I'm the Oilers, I would do it. I yeah, I put my reputation on the line and I said it. And Craig, if I was wrong, I got to live with it. It's easy to stand in a group. It's hard to stand on an island by myself at the time or whatever. I was getting some pushback when I said, forget it. If it was me, I'd go Kane with McDavid or Dreisaitl. Oilers have really no choice if it's free, basically, which was not the old contract. So Smokey, thank you for teaching me something through Craig, even though it was kind of after the story, but I love it. How good is he? Here's the thing, Steve. Like, nobody should be surprised about Evander Kane. He's been a really good player in the National Hockey League, right? Like, so, okay, so there was some controversy surrounding him, and it led to the Edmonton Oilers being able to get a free player. And McDavid and Dreisaitl have never had a left winger like that on their wing. I guess you say yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> March 24th, 2022. What a night whenever you're listening to this, ladies and gentlemen. Ooh. Before we get into the like, this is the play tonight's playoff hockey. Yeah. We're in it. It's playoff hockey. First, your take, because I don't know the intricacies. I just followed the story of getting to Donov. Did Eugene Melnick take the no trade piece of paper to the Cayman Islands? Like, Craig, what, what do we know? And what do we not know about, about this to Donov to Anaheim and now back and how it's going to affect Vegas financially with the cap? Well, bottom line is, and, and this is the bottom line, Vegas has the player. They need to know everything in the contract. Whatever's in the contract, they need to know every part of it. It's their obligation, not Ottawa's, not Eugene Melnick, right? Like they made a trade and now it's up to Vegas to know every part of the contract. And whether they did or didn't, doesn't matter. The contract is, is enforceable and that's what happened. And so what, what, whatever the rationale was for trading them or whatever they thought, doesn't matter. Dananoff says, I'm not going. But the bigger factor here is, the Vegas Golden Knights, they were trying to get Ryan Kessler back to try to clear up some salary cap space, long-term injury reserve to get players from the injury reserve. Mark Stone, you remember him? Yep. Trying to get him back in the lineup. Alex Martinez, two key players. Well, now, where, where does Kelly McCrimmon go now? Where does he go now? Yeah, what does he? Tell you what, you can still make a trade. You can still make a trade. Keep that in mind. You just, whatever, you just can't uh, have a player play in the playoffs for you. So what Kelly McCrimmon, if he wants to trade to Danoff to one of the teams that's uh, not on his no trade, he can do that. But, but, but the key part of this deal was getting the money back on Kessler. So where are you going to get that kind of a cap hit to do it? It's not impossible, but it's going to cost them. It's going to cost them if, so, if he goes that route. So they might say to Stone and Martinez, you have to wait till we do something. And what we, I guess, because hardly any of these things happen, not, not this situation. This is a wacky situation. This is like your story on Podcast 49, which is doing very well, by the way. So <laughs> that's a great story. Uh, we had a lot of fun then. We're having a lot of fun now. So the way I look at it is Stone and Patrick, you're going to wait. 
most people thought when the trade deadline is over, it's over. But what you're saying, if if the Donov does, let's say, go to Anaheim, a non-playoff team, um, and they were to get something back, that guy could not play for Vegas in the playoffs. That's why the trade deadline is kind of like final, and we don't normally see anything afterwards. But the Donov, if he's persuaded or whatever, you're saying they could still trade his five million bucks. Yeah, they could trade it, right? But understand now, it's not just about trading a player and saying we want to play. Everybody knows what Vegas is trying to do. Everybody knows that they're taking the Kessler contract back. You'd even say John Moore, who was on injured reserve. You know, maybe they put him on long-term injury and they, they use that money as well, right? So we all know what the intent was of the trade. So is this a circumvention now? Is this, you don't think teams aren't going to be, you know, phoning uh, headquarters and going, whoa, what, what, hey, the trade deadline. Now they're allowed to go and do this to become cap compliant, right? Like, not, it, it, it's a very interesting scenario for the Vegas Gold Knights and for the league vis-a-vis the CBA, right? Because it's very clear, like, and, and you know, I was asked this question, Steve, you know, what happens if the trade is nullified? Well, the trade's nullified. The Danoff goes back to Vegas, and Vegas still has to be cap compliant. There's no room not to be cap compliant. How do they get those players back? To your point, they may have to wait. They may just simply have to wait until the clock runs out on the regular season and there's no more accounting for the salary cap. And they get those, which might be too late for the Vegas Gold Knights. Yeah, it might so be too big late. Blunder, big blunder. Yep, it might be too late anyway, as they're at 36% odds to make the playoffs and episode 48 they were in the 50s so they're they're falling fast i didn't know you could make a deal after the deadline while you were still in a race we've seen two non-playoff teams in may make a trade because buffalo makes a trade with ottawa but they're both out and that trade has no effect on nhl hockey so i didn't know that that's an interesting tidbit um so that leads us into vegas and it leads us into Dallas playing tonight, Jets playing tonight, Nashville, Vegas, Vancouver, Minnesota, Edmonton. Now, the strength of schedule is supposed to help them, but if you're playing your third-string goalie, you don't have 61 in Martinez. Eichel hasn't actually been lighting it up. Do you think people are actually cheering? Like in Buffalo, are they saying, yes, this is our pound of flesh. We want them to lose. And around the league, with some of the things, Vegas was cute and cuddly. Then they became kind of a little pit bull, and people were like, oh, yeah. They used to pet Vegas. Oh, the expansion line, the misfits. Oh, this is, then things kind of took a Kramer turn. Do you feel that, Craig? You don't have to name names. You don't have to name names. Do you feel that people are saying up and comings and karma? Well, I mean, yeah, you can always use the karma card. And uh, certainly they, they were, they were this, they were this wonderful story. I am never, ever going to criticize a team for, for going for it, for, for being aggressive. The Vegas Gold Knights, you know, George McPhee came in there and they said, hey, we're not going to be your typical expansion team. It turned out wonderful for them. I mean, they, number one, they got Marc-Andre Fleury, who became the face, and then they did some wonderful things. And then they kept going after and kept going after it. I have zero, I have zero issues with what they're doing. So you know what, Steve, people become jealous of success, right? And, you know, when it's that, you know, you've heard me say this outside of the Washington Capitals, the St. Louis Blues and the Tampa Bay Lightning, the Vegas Golden Knights has, have been successful, have been more successful than any other team in the NHL, right? Like, I mean, I'll throw Pittsburgh in there. You know, you can't dismiss Pittsburgh, but th those, those three teams won the Stanley Cup, right? So like, you know, so here's Vegas, 
you know, in their fifth season in the NHL, yeah, there's a jealousy there. So, uh, you know, there's always going to be a resentment for a team and, and maybe be, oh, yeah, okay, look at where you're at now. You know, everybody loves Marc-Andre Fleury. Oh, this is how you treated Marc-Andre Fleury. Oh, good on you. You didn't want to. I get it, right? But they, they, they went after it. Their problems aren't because they went after it. Their, their, their problems have surrounded, you know, massive injuries to their team. And because their cap situation was right up to the max, they didn't have the flexibility. And when you don't have flexibility, and, and I think flexibility in your salary cap is as important as player personnel on the ice. If you don't have flexibility, you, you're stuck. I heard of an NHL team that wanted to make a trade for uh, a, a defenseman at deadline, a defenseman they really liked, a defenseman that they could have got, and they couldn't make the trade because of their cap situation. Imagine that, Steve. You're not going to tell us who? No, I'm not. <laughs> okay, we got to protect our friends I mean, and our sources. Well, so. it's not a, no, it's not about protecting anybody. It, I mean, it, it it was a trade that didn't happen. So if I start talking about every trade that didn't happen and talk about the reasons why it didn't happen, this show is going to be six and a half hours long. <laughs> That's right. You're right. So of uh, the West rate, like the West rate. So trade deadline, we passed that highway. Dodonov, that's front and center. Um, Vegas playoff race. So it's, it's sexy. This is sexy. What else? Cause it's Vegas and Nashville tonight. Uh, and we're going to make some bets, of course, a little bit later on in the show with our friends at sports interaction. So what of the Western race tonight intrigues you the most, or does it all intrigue you because it's the playoffs in late March? Well, well here we are. Like I, I never would have thought, I, I'm just going to say this before we get into it. The Atlantic division, look where the Atlantic division is. On, on, on a night where, where Tampa Bay is in Boston, I mean, Tampa Bay could fall to fourth in the Atlantic. I mean, just think about that race going on between Toronto, Tampa Bay, and Boston. I mean, it's phenomenal, isn't it? Then you go to the West, and, hey, Vegas has played more games. They haven't scored in their last two games. You know, they played a pretty good game against the Winnipeg Jets. Connor Hellebuck was outstanding yes. in a game where in front of them wasn't, they weren't very good, but he was outstanding. So the Vegas, Nashville's, Nashville just got thumped. They got thumped pretty good by the LA Kings. So, you know, the Kings, you know, look at, look at where they're at. I thought maybe they might be out. Like they're, you start to look at that Pacific division, LA six points ahead of, of the Vegas Golden Knights. You start running into the teens with games remaining. I'll tell you what, there's not a lot of room to make up there. Right. So LA wins a game against Nashville's going to come in there. They're going to be angry. They want to hold on to their position. Vancouver, what a great game in Colorado. On, oh. on, was that something by Vancouver? Halak, the penalty killing worst in the league. So yeah, I, I, I'm kind of picking out some things. The Western Conference, that Pacific Division and the wild card. Wow. Buckle up. Let's go. I'll just start because I think it's easier to go to the Atlantic since you brought it up. And it's interesting. The Leafs beat the Devils, two shorthanded goals. Mrazek wins. And the way the narrative has been, it seems, in and outside of Toronto, of woe is us, we're the Winnipeg Jets analogy that you use. We can't beat the Flames and the Oilers of the 80s. And if you act like that, then you won't. So, and I'm not saying it's coming from the team. I'm saying the outside noise. And how many people in hockey who follow it like we do would say, who's ahead of... Where are the Leafs in the Atlantic? Well, they're, they're like, they've been third and Boston's chasing them. But to wake up and be in second and the narrative that looks like Florida's going to win it and that if you're Tampa, Toronto, and Boston and this jockeying for position, any 2-3 matchup that would include, let's say, 
Toronto, Boston, how much those two teams would love to avoid and push the two Florida teams together. Not that they got any control over it, although Toronto plays Boston on the final game of the regular season. Think about that on April 29th. I think Florida's going to win the division, Craig, but the intrigue, the Atlantic didn't have that much intrigue before, but it happened because Tampa kind of, they've been middling a little bit lately. Boston's been surging and the Leafs have really kind of been doing the same thing, but everyone's been so critical of them and what they did or didn't do at the deadline or what the goaltending was. They kind of forgot the other things like the great underlying numbers, the goal scoring, the power play, the penalty kill. And like if they get a league average goal tending percentage or a little bit higher, they give themselves a chance. Like we've already act like they've already lost. What are you saying? I'm saying that you're right. They'd be way higher in the standings. Way higher. I'm 100% first. with you. Well, Steve, you, you just use the underlying numbers. Okay, so underlying or overlying or obvious, right? The Toronto Maple Leafs have a good team there. Other than the number of rush chances they give up against, right? And, and there's a reason for that that we can get into on a le- later date, right? But like, and, and I'm not trying to uh, uh, like avoid it, but everything, the, the goaltending since December 1st, was a big bugaboo. And when your goaltending is a big bugaboo, of course there's going to be a lot of controversy around your team. Of course there's going to be a lot of chatter about what aren't they doing. You know, adding Mark Giordano upgrades the defense. They got to find stability in the net. So they got it from Shalgren. You know, Mrazek comes in, you know, steadies the ship in, in his game. You know, Jack Campbell getting healthy, right? I think Jack Campbell can do the job. I do. But when you're not doing the job, it has to be of concern. You, you can have all the faith you want, but if they're, when you're, when you're, and it wasn't two weeks, it was three months, Steve. It was yeah. three months. <laughs> and think maybe the Leafs, and, and they won some of those games with that goaltending. Maybe the Leafs have 10 more points right now, and we're talking the President's Trophy. <laughs> yeah. So they're, they're right there. And, you know, like we, we can talk about the path through the Atlantic and do they have what it takes to get through there? Hard, heavy, you know, demanding hockey. All I know is the Leafs are, are, are a good team. They're a good team. And you heard what I said earlier. I compared them to the Jets, perhaps, back in the 80s. The Jets were a darn good team. They just had to face the Oilers and the Flames. So to the West and the intrigue and the numbers, I think what fans always say, well, we're only four points back, and yeah, they got two games in hand on us. What they forget is, and the computer does this, they don't, they don't realize that Edmonton's playing Calgary. So yeah. someone has to win or Edmonton's got to play LA. So there's the, you know, you can't gain on the night that you're tied with a team that's also playing the other team. So you, you need to win just to make sure that night's even. And if you lose or only get one point. So when you start doing this, people think, well, there, we have 20 games left or we have 15 games left. Craig, Unless you're Minnesota Fats and going 15 and 0, and who does that? The Penguins one year went 17 and 0 to end the regular season, and they didn't even win the cup that year. That's where the math that you've always said doesn't help in this case, Vancouver and Winnipeg. But I'll give those teams credit because at least they put themselves in a spot to give themselves a chance and give their fans something down the stretch. Because at times I did think it was over for both, and the math is not good but at least they're going down fighting with the games that you just mentioned. Yeah. And, and for Winnipeg, they only have one path in my view, and that's wildcard. Vegas has two paths. They have Pacific and wildcard, 
right? So like, you know, Vancouver does to me, doesn't have wild card. Like, you know, they have, they have to go through the Pacific, but that's still a chance. Let me just give you a little uh, uh, background on the math. Vegas has 16 games left. LA is six points ahead of them. I'm just going to use LA. Yep. LA has, LA has 18 games left. Let's just say LA wins goes 500. They're playing 600 hockey right now. Let's just say they go 500, nine and nine. Okay. That means the Vegas school Knights in their last 16 games, they got to win at least three plus one point more games than the uh, LA Kings down the stretch, 16 games left. So if they go nine and nine, that means you got to go 12 and four or 12, three and one. <laughs> Ask yourself if that's possible. Is it possible? Maybe the better question, ask yourself if that's probable. 12, three and one. If that, if the Kelly Kings just go 500, that's the math, Steve. And that's why it's so important. You can bet with your gut. You can pick your favorite team. But when you are placing down some Sazich, you got to know <laughs> the numbers or your bank account will get lower. All right. Time now for KB on ice. Cool button. An inside look at the NHL brought to you by our great friends at Sports Interaction. Sports Interaction is everywhere and they're Canada Sportsbook. Okay, Kreskin, button, you go first. Okay, I can only tell you this, okay? Everywhere. How about this schedule of games on a Thursday night? You got Tampa Bay at Boston. I mean, I mean, Tampa Bay could fall to fourth place in the uh, Atlantic with a loss. I mean, you got Dallas at Carolina. You got... Ottawa, Winnipeg has to win. They have to yep. win their next four games. So, like, they don't win, you're killing. How about Van at Mini? Van goes into Colorado, wins. Like, worst penalty kill in the league, comes up large on the penalty kill. And Nashville and Vegas. Okay, so here's where I'm going. I'm going to go real quick. Okay. Tampa Bay wins in Boston. They got to show that they're Stanley Cup worthy. Carolina, I'm going Winnipeg, obviously. Minnesota beats Vancouver. And Nashville goes in and thumps the Knights. I love it. I love it. I'm taking Boston, okay? okay? I think that there's something about a three-team race for second, third, and fourth. Carolina wins, and I think they win by flexing their Carolina muscles. Jets, I guarantee win. I guarantee they win, and Vegas loses again. They lose again, and this is only going to get worse before it gets better. That's what we think happens tonight. What do you think? What are you going to do? That's up to you, Mr. and Mrs. North America. Check out all NHL odds, props, and totals at SIA.com. That's SIA.com. And sign up today at sportsinteraction.com forward slash cool button pod to place your bet. Sports Interaction is Canada's sports book. Good luck. So, Craig, I know you're tight with your friends at uh, Sports Logic. Uh, I'm I'm just a simple guy, natural stat trick, money puck, learning the numbers. I like, I like how they analyze the goalies, 1 to 111. I like that. And I like when you close your eyes and say, okay, for my eye test, here are what I think the best goalies in the league. And then it kind of matches. You're like, yes, the eye test can work in the traditional numbers and everything else. So all of a sudden, we're seeing Roman Yossi have the unbelievable march. The point streak since March 2nd started, this has been Eric Carlson-like, but he's better defensively. He's on the leaderboard for scoring. And we've talked about McCarr and Hedman and Yossi, this run that he's on right now. So what have you made of 59 in Nashville? 
And is this like special? Like this finish is as special as I remember in the modern era. I'm not going to compare to a number four or anything else. But right now, Roman Yossi, both sides of the puck. I saw the breakout numbers and passing numbers and everything else. Oh, my goodness. What do we make of this, Watson? And what does it mean for sensational defenseman seasons? Well, well, I mean, let me answer the last question first. It, it, it's been a sensational season. I mean, think about the great defensemen have played in the game and, and defensemen have had great seasons, right? Like and won the Norris Trophy. And Yossi is having one of those seasons. But correct me, he, he did win a Norris already, hasn't he? <laughs> He's <laughs> like, I mean, this should come as no surprise because Roman Yossi is that level of defenseman. He's taken his game up probably a notch here. In, in this March, but he's been terrific this season. Right. And you know, we, you watch somebody and, and the word I use, Steve is command the game. You know, like we know defensemen can command the game in different areas. Adam Fox does it different than Kale McCarr does it different than Hedman. When I go back and, you know, let's take Bobby Orr out of it. And I think about Nick Lidstrom, Nicholas Lidstrom commanded the game. He just controlled the game. When I watch Roman Yossi right now, that's what I see when Hedman is right on top of his game. Cause I still think Hedman is the best defenseman overall year in, year out. Yeah. You know, I, you know how we always had Sydney as the best player in the NHL. You know, he didn't win the heart every year, but we, we know that's how I feel about Hedman. Yeah. But Yossi right now has a, has a full command of the game in every regard. Like, and, and, and that to me is special. That to me, it doesn't mean that any of the other defensemen aren't having fantastic years, but he, he, he's, he's pushed it. He's pushed it, pushed it a notch above, a notch above. And to watch it and to see oh. it. And it's not just the points, like the points are the byproduct oh, no. of, you know, the process, success, teammates and everything else. And I went back to look at my notes or whatever. I, I had the Preds as a bubble team. I didn't believe Saros could be this good. Yosiki would be this good. I didn't know Forsberg would make it this far. I've always liked Forsberg. He'd be on my team in a heartbeat. And I, Let's be honest, we didn't know what 95 and 92 could do. So I got to give them props for the seasons oh. that they're having. So all of that has worked out well, but we've got these tiers. So you've got Colorado in the central, then you've got the Minnesota, St. Louis's, Nashville's, and Dallas. Craig, I honestly, honestly, you know, seven come 11, seven come 11. I think like I, I have a tough time categorizing, you know, is who's still the guy? I guess Flurry's going to change our thought on Minnesota. Then there's Dallas, and there's something off for me about Dallas. One day I love them, and then there's Nashville. I guess Minnesota's my two, and the St. Louis Blues are three. I, I'm not sure, but when the playoffs roll around, I'm not making bets on those games. I don't feel it. Like, I think those teams and that division is so tight, so hard to handicap. Well, we're, we're, in my view, you're talking about six and seven game series. That's how close it is, isn't yeah. it? You know, that's the other thing I want to just say one more thing about Roman Yossi, because imagine you're Matthias Ekholm. You've watched, you got a front row seat to Roman Yossi, you know, as a teammate, right? And he could have been a free agent. And he signs that, that, that extension. I think Matthias Ekholm might be the smartest guy in hockey because he goes, wait a sec. I get to stay here. I like it here. And I get to play behind Roman Yossi. <laughs> like, 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 is he like, talk about a one, two left side. How, how good is that one, two left side? Right. Isn't that, oh. I mean, and so Matthias, I just wanted to make this. I think Matthias at home is such a solid, solid NHL defense with Dallas. They're missing Haskinen. I mean, Haskinen is, a, is the, he, he changes the equation there. Right. And, you know, I think that, you know, if, if he can get back healthy, I mean, he'll help that team, but 
Steve, we're, we're talking about the thinnest of margins separating these teams. I've always felt that St. Louis had a little bit more than those other teams just because, but, but their blue line, it's not, it, it just seems to me to be an area where they're vulnerable. You know, when they won, they had that big, heavy, weighty defense. They're not big and heavy and weighty as like they once were. Yeah, they got, had guys gotten away. Uh, oh. Prakop was playing better than Bowmeister just got in the way. Of course they had Petrangelo. And I wonder about Alex, if, if he had to go back on the Superman time machine, if he just would have stayed in St. Louis, I know that's retrospective analysis. I want to go know, too far in that still- uh, Krug's hurt now. Thank God they got Letty. That's why people make deadline deals uh, and everything else. So the sexiness and we grew up, Craig, when we already knew who the Hart Trophy was. The Art Ross was over. You weren't allowed to take certain players in your pool. It was just, you know, and, and all that kind of stuff. We got a Norris race. We got a Calder race. I, I guess we don't have a Vesna race. But all of a sudden, I'm pumping Igor Shesterkin's tires so much, I think I, I might have to fill. So all of a sudden, he hits a, a, a bit of a snag. There seems to be an anti-McDavid feeling for something. I'm not sure. The Oilers might have to finish second. So what does it do in a year that I think we might have more Hart Trophy players who get a vote maybe than any time? Because we have 32 teams now and everything else. This might be, and you do have a vote for the Hart, right? Yes. Okay. So today I can ask you because you could change your mind. If you forget about the top three, everyone says he's in my conversation. Of course they're in your conversation or we wouldn't have a conversation. <laughs> what do you think of Charlie's Angels? They're in my conversation. What do you think of Kardashians? They're in my conversation. Of course they're in the conversation or we wouldn't be talking about them. So is there a number one right now? Could you give me one or could you honestly say this is a horse race that's coming down to the stretch and a number of horses can win the Kentucky Heart Derby? For me, it's just third. And I, I look at, I, I was really happy to see him get lit up the other night because not that I'm happy to see any goalie get lit up, but I was happy to just like, Oh, he is human. Oh, he has a human element to him. I mean, we're talking about a, a season that's one. You talk about Yossi. How about Shesterkin one for the ages? I mean, it's unbelievable what he's done. Take him away from the New York Rangers, his ability to win games, win games. To me, that, that meets my criteria for most valuable player. Yeah, there's lots of other players in the conversation. I, I'm going to say this, Steve. Take just one of 97 or 29 away from the Edmonton Oilers, and they're in massive trouble. Connor, I, I like, you know, we went through a little spell. I don't know. What did they go? Two and a half games without getting a point? <laughs> two and a half games. It's like, oh, chicken little, the sky's falling, the sky's falling. Those two guys are brilliant. Connor McDavid is brilliant. The other night, they have a great game going in Dallas. The guys get going. A couple of blunders in the last five minutes cost them the game. McDavid and Dreisaitl are, are phenomenal, phenomenal. They, to me, they're in the conversation. But Shesterkin's my guy. And, then, and that's not to take anything away from Yossi. It's not to take anything away from Matthews. Shesterkin's my guy. Yeah. I don't have a vote because I only watch 1,271 of the 1,271 games, Craig. But someday <laughs> you'll lobby for me. I think we did Yes, talk I about will. That. Yeah, yeah. So there you go. Uh, because I care, Craig. Uh, because I care. Uh, McDavid's closing in by the weekend. Um, he might have a hundred points yep. or 97. That's how good it's been. So kind of some, you know, bits and bites here. Devils play the Leafs. Giordano trips to tar. The refs do get together and do what we say. They never do change their mind. The replay showed that Giordano stick did touch the left skate of Tatar. If that was enough or not, that's kind of the referee's 
eye in the sky. <laughs> so I'm just wondering where we are because we have replay, which is eye in the sky. And then we don't for other things. I go back to that play when Yamamoto got a high sticking penalty in Philadelphia when clearly Konechny high sticked Giroux at the time. And I thought, boy, if that's game seven of the final or playoff series. So I know it's not front burner, but the devil fans must be going, what the heck happened when the replay shows there was contact there. So I'm curious your thoughts. Cause I know the GMs probably quietly will be saying what happened there, Mr. Button. You know, I was having this conversation with Brian Marchman a, a week ago and we had a good, uh, and, and the conversation was, Sometimes, like he said, in every game, there's going to be a rhythm and a flow to the game. And, you know, and as an official, sometimes what it's not so much, you know, calling the rule book, you know, the, the officials are calling the rule book, right? It's about what, what really constitutes a penalty and, and, and is it in the best interest? I'm talking about this type of penalty. Is it in the best interest to disrupt the flow of the game and the rhythm of the game? You know, like if we're talking about slight contact, like, you know, I guess by the definition of the rule book, it, it's tripping. But is that what we're going to do? So slight interference, slight to this, right? Like, you know, Bob Clark said to me many years ago, and I said this to Brian, I said, good officials know when not to call a penalty and they know what not to call. I think there are times in the game, if we want every single penalty called, the games will be four and a half hours, right? So there is, and, and, and listening to Brian talk about the rhythm and the flow of a game, it's so true. So is that game, let that play last night with Tatar, and I happened to see it actually. So, because I was, I was at the prospects game and I'm covering that. I happened to see it and I was going like, come on, like, really? <laughs> That's how I left. I left. I mean, I don't know how you felt. I'm going like, I, I just didn't seem like a penalty. Yeah. And it, I don't think it did. I think what would have helped the cause of changing it was no contact. And he just hit a speed wobble. And the referee yeah. comes over the fact that there was, do you want to set this as a mini precedent moving forward? If there was no contact, what they did, I totally understand from my eye over here. It looks like you were tripped, but from the other angle it was an optical illusion. You just hit a rut in the ice. I would want the referees to get together and solve that. If there is already a contact, cause are you, are you going to go back later and say, he slashed him on the hand. Oh, I thought it was a stick or he didn't touch him. So myself to open up that Pandora's box, I wouldn't have done it on that play, even though I don't think it was a trip, but because there was contact, I just kind of would have let that go. The avalanche have been involved in some weird plays. They were in the Landis Cog situation. Then they were in clearly Kadri took nurse's helmet off. They benefited. And then last night with already five power plays and the Canuck fans were fuming. The Canucks played great. They let the one go that may, I couldn't tell if it was on the hands. McKinnon wanted another one. And I think at that point they said, you've had 10 minutes. They've had one. We're managing the game. The Canucks have earned this game. And they kind of let it go. And Horvat went to the empty net. That's what you're talking about. Money management, puck management, game management for the referee. I get it. Because I, I don't know if he did get you or not. If I know for sure he did, I would have called it. And I think that's what you're talking about. Good referees know when to make that call that could decide the game or when it's time to let it go. And it's so, I'm reason I'm bringing it up is, you know, it's around the corner in four and a half weeks. Oh you know, yeah. Around the corner. So, but, but that's okay. The, the officials also have the option to put their hand up and say, we're calling this. 
they have the option to put their hand down and say, we're not calling this on that play. I don't think there's any reason to have a, a conversation uh, on a cross check, a high stick, a, a, a potential blow to the head. Yeah, yeah. Let's have the conversation on that play. No, either, either put your hand up and call the penalty or keep your hand down and let the play continue. Yeah. I'm with you on that. I'm with you on that. This nicely leads us into final thoughts brought to you by ultimate hockey fans, ultimatehockeyfanscom forward slash cool button to get our big discount ceiling fans, puck light fixtures, Paul Cohen in Tampa will take care of you. Craig, I want you for final thoughts to talk about the prospects game, Shane Wright and uh, everything else. Wasn't that a lot of fun? The first one since 2020. Oh, good for the kids. Good for the kids, Craig. That, that's what I'm going to tell you. Great for the kids. It was a great opportunity. They were there Tuesday. They were doing on ice testing. You, you know, to see the joy on their faces, honestly, Steve, it was like, like, and they knew they had a chance. They know there's every NHL team is represented there. I mean, I was told there was over 300 NHL personnel there. You know, the players always want to put their best foot forward. Kitchener did a great job of hosting it. The CHL put on a great, great event. And it was a good game. It was a competitive game. It was a hard game. You know, we know about Shane Wright, but some of the players that got a chance to show what they can do, Jagger Furcus, <laughs> I'll tell you what, he's not the only one. There was a lot of players that said to NHL personnel, hey, as Jeff O'Neill said, I'll finish it with this. You go to that game, you know what you want to show the NHL team? That they want to do business with you. I love it. I love it. What a great way and a great quote to end episode 50. Book it, Dano, as it relates to talking about everything going on in the NHL. Flurry on Saturday. I can't wait to watch that and discuss it with you, Mr. Button. Until next time, be well. You got no right to question us unless we want, and we don't want. So book us or let us go. Book them, Dano.